Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. So, uh, as an opening question, as we get into this sermon, I am curious, like, when did you first hear about the Bible and how to read the Bible? I wanted to transport yourself. When did you first hear about the Bible and how to read the Bible? And so for some of you, it was like last Thursday, and this is like all kind of a new thing, and you're just checking a new city out for the first time. Welcome. For some of you, it was like there was never a time when the Bible wasn't present in your life because at, since you were an infant, you were being brought to church. There's some folks who had problematic Sunday school teachers uh, who taught you things about the Bible that you've since had to unlearn. There are some folks, uh, some preachers who showed an interpretation or approach to the Bible that continues to give you life. Wherever you are and however you relate to the Bible, I think that uh, it's worth really reflecting on and being aware of the interpretation skills that you were given as a kid. Because when, uh, or when you first encountered the Bible, because when we first learn these interpretation skills, a lot of times we are told that those are the only interpretation skills to be used. When we're first told how to relate to the Bible, a lot of times that's presented as if it's the only way to relate to the Bible, which can lead to some problematic, hashtag problematic things. I just want to name that, like, for us, the Bible is important because if you can't understand the Bible, then you can't understand Jesus. And so, like, at New City Church, sometimes, um, maybe more pre-pandemic, interestingly, but sometimes I would get questions that was like, why does New City read the Bible? Like, doesn't the Bible kind of, isn't it kind of a, you know, like, aren't we kind of, like, past that? Uh, uh, If we support Audre Lorde, like, why don't we also, why don't we read that as our text instead of the Bible? Like, what's the whole deal about the Bible? And the short answer is that if we don't understand the Bible, then we can't understand Jesus. And if we can't understand Jesus, then we're letting anyone's interpretation speak for God. So it's kind of like we read the Bible to understand Jesus. And when we're out in the world and other people are saying things about Jesus or in the name of Jesus, we can uh, approach that with loving confrontation and say, like, actually, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure we're talking about the same Bible here. You know, like, I'm just so not ready to, like, forfeit a sacred text to people I, who have other political agendas than I am, um, especially because I found so much life in it. And of course, um, as you all are following current events, like this is especially relevant in the conversation about transgender healthcare. This is especially relevant in um, talking about drag queens and somehow they're the problem? I'm like, listen, drag queens single-handedly keep the lipstick industry in business. So, and also like queer resistance that has informed every era of, of queer liberation since uh, at least the 1950s. So like we owe a lot to drag queens, but you know, sometimes I get into these internet holes and I was listening to the uh, Escambia County Public Schools have y'all, uh, any folks connected to public schools lately? Yeah, okay, so it's, it's, uh, it, it's a tense, public schools are kind of a tense place right now. There's a lot of contention over what's happening in public schools. And uh, throughout our country, uh, throughout our national community, 
there are people who are uh, really pushing back on what type of uh, education is allowed in public schools, specifically around race and around gender and sexual orientation. And so uh, I was listening to uh, this guy's testimony. And on his testimony, he said, right and wrong is a clear line. It's not gray, which first of all, I'm like, uh, okay. Uh, and then <laughs> it's, I was like, I preach a sermon on that actually <laughs> about how uh, uh, non-dualistic faith is the only way forward in spiritual maturity. Okay, so it is black and light. It's available in our archive if, you're, if you are this person. Uh, you're welcome to check it out in our archive. It's on our website. Um, it is black and white with the law. When we talk about H1557, we're talking about indoctrination. Jesus said, go and sin no more. So this is against the law. And so he, um, first of all, like lots of interesting choices. The uh, understanding that morality is black and white. The thinking that like H1557, which is like a codified national law uh, uh, and religious law can be like the same thing. Like moral law can be the same thing. Interesting choices. And, uh, and lastly, this was all over a debate about whether or not, he was talking about the book Entangle Makes Three, which is a, a book, this, he testified against a book featuring two gay penguins who, who raise an egg. And interestingly, um, this is like not a fictional story. Like this actually happened. Like there are two gay penguins in Central Park that raised an egg. And this, yes, bless the Lord. It's almost like queerness is in creation. Okay, we're just, okay. That's another sermon. That's another sermon. Bless the Lord. It's on our bonus content. Subscribe to Patreon today. So um, the, uh, there's like literally gay penguins. There's literally gay penguins raising a kid. And an illustrator was like, this is a, a heartwarming story that I will illustrate and then put into a book. And, and, uh, the dots that were connected in this uh, fellow child of God's mind is like the, uh, the indoctrination of this book is against Jesus's law. And he cites Jesus and he cites the Bible. And I, I just think that as, as people of faith, I feel a particular responsibility to hear how people are leveraging the Bible and just ask the simple question, where are the receipts? Like, show me the receipts. Show me how you got from A to F and like how the um, direct oppression of people like me is justified by a savior who loves me and saved me. So like, just like talk me through that a little bit. And I got a master's degree uh, in divinity to be able to explore exactly that. And, um, and I just think it's interesting because that whole, you know, he, uh, let me see if I can go back. The whole line that he was citing, the, um, the uh, Jesus said to go and sin no more. So that whole line, do you all remember what story that's from? So it was like, uh, so it was that story where Jesus interrupted a punitive system to protect a sexually transgressive woman from violence of religious persecution. <laughs> So I'm like, it's that story that you're, you're going on? Like, you're sure? Is that the one that, is that the citation to use? And, uh, but we can only use that type of awareness if we, like, take our own responsibility to engage the sacred text. And I would challenge that it's not only to have talking points for your disgruntled uncle at Thanksgiving. It's also because the Bible contains within itself stories that 
contribute to our liberation. Like there's an inspiration, there's a, uh, there's a power in the, the stories of the Bible that show uh, the nature of God and, and what we can do as people. And I just think it's amazing because I actually have greatly spiritually benefited from this story of Jesus being like, okay, y'all want to publicly execute someone and I'm going to draw on the ground and then queer this conflict by not saying who is right or wrong, but saying like, who has sin within? Like, I'm just, I just think that is so tactical and smart of Jesus. And I've learned so much from it. And I just think it's worth uh, the question, like, what is the very text, what if the very text that has been so weaponized against us can show us the path to peace? Like, what if queer people are not only not persecuted by the Bible, but what if queer people have a reading of the Bible that actually will, like, help to liberate everyone? Like, what if, what if um, in, uh, descendants of enslaved people or currently enslaved people have a reading of this that can liberate everyone? What if disabled people and immigrants have a reading that can liberate everyone? Like, this is kind of what we're trying to get at with this whole project. <laughs> it's like, the word of God is only understood when we consider the voices of the people who are most marginalized in our society. Because God cares about healing all of society. And that's why we have the Bible in the first place. Um, so some of you are new to the Bible and, and didn't grow up in Sunday school, whether you had a dysfunctional Sunday school teacher or not. And, uh, and you're like, okay, so the Bible kind of seems intimidating, kind of long, kind of boring. Like, what am I supposed to do uh, about approaching the Bible? And throughout this sermon series, we've already taught you three skills, uh, whether you knew it or not. We've been modeling three skills for how to read the Bible both passionately and skillfully. Passionately and skillfully. And so we talked about the, um, for those of you who were there two weeks ago, we talked about the story of the midwives, uh, remember? And the midwives were resisting Pharaoh. And so we learned this skill of like character empathy, where when you read the Bible, sometimes the way that you can like approach the text is by seeing how you relate to each of the characters present in the story. And so uh, the question for us was like, if these midwives could resist Pharaoh, what are we midwifing and how are we resisting the Pharaoh of our times? This is kind of a spiritual reading of the text, a character empathy of the text. And then last week, uh, John Carlos talked, uh, really emphasized this text that said, that God sees, hears, and knows our pain, which, by the way, um, as John Carlos mentioned, is not about physical ability. And if you're someone who doesn't, can't see or hear, then you can also approach this text as God experiences or God pays attention to. Like, there's a certain intimacy to the text that John Carlos was really trying to emphasize. And that leads to skill two, which is like, start with the loving, liberating assumption of God, and then work backwards. And so if you're reading a text and you're like, this feels pretty messed up, one of the ways you can approach that is like, let's assume that God is loving and liberating, and then try to kind of work our way into, if that is the case, then how is God relating to this story? That's a, that's a skill that you can cultivate. And then lastly today, we have this story about Joseph, uh, Moses going up on the mountain. And it's this third skill that I kind of th- call like a spatial reading uh, or thinking about geography. And so um, I think it's noteworthy in a lot of the Pentateuch, especially we also see this in like Kings, the Gospels, 
in some ways revelation like that the storytelling is as much to do with place and the location of how people are relating to place as it is about the characters themselves and so like you can kind of tell what's going on in the scene based off of where they are not just what they're saying this is a, a spatial reading of the text so another way to say all that with, uh, for all those skills is like asking yourself these three questions what is this text saying about people like what does it mean to be a person what is this text saying about god and what is the land in this text telling us these are three skills that you can have in your tool belt as you're reading the bible and you know you have that initial like oh i don't know if i even get what's going on this feels so weird this feels so foreign like asking these three questions can help you become more intimate and uh and make the text more approachable and so i want you to kind of memorize these three and then we're going to reread the scripture from today so uh we're thinking about people we're thinking about god we're thinking about land okay and we're going to reread this and i've highlighted key parts that are relevant to those three things so okay we have our our lenses on and we're going to read this so exodus uh 3 1 through 15. so uh and remember that like of course this is color coordinated so just just know that okay so um moses was taking care of the flock for his father-in-law jethro midian's priest he led his flock out of the out to the edge of the desert and he came to god's mountain called horeb the lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the middle of a bush do y'all remember uh, last week, by the way, that John Carlos really made a, a note of saying that the Pharaoh's policy was to harm children by throwing them in the Nile and that the Nile was a site of trauma. So here we have, we ha in the opening of this text, we have this image of like the water, the low water being uh, the image of the Pharaoh's oppression and okay, we're, we're reading we're reading so now we're up high on a mountain And there's a flame of fire in the middle of a bush Moses saw that the bush was in flames, but it didn't burn up and Then Moses said to himself as people often say to themselves Let me check out this amazing site and find out why the bush isn't burning up um, fun fact a lot of uh, deities at the time were represented by trees and so some scholars uh, approach this as like God isn't the God of like a tree God is um, lowly like a bush because God approaches people who are made lowly by oppression okay <laughs> Woo! Uh, when the Lord saw that he was coming to look God called to him and said out of the bush Moses Moses and Moses said I'm here mm -hmm. then the Lord said don't come any closer take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground he continued, I am the God of your father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, Jacob's God. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. I've come down, interesting, to rescue them from Egyptians in order to take them out of that land and bring them to a good and broad land good and broad land that's full of milk and honey a place where the canaanites hittites the amorites the parasites hevites and jebusites all live now the israelites cries of injustice have reached me i've seen just how much the egyptians have oppressed them 
So get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I to go to Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Um, just the character read. Okay. God said, I'll be with you, and this will show you that I'm the one who sent you. After you bring the people out of Egypt, you will come back here and worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, if I now come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, what's this God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. So say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God continues, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, Jacob's God has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how all generations will remember me. Okay, so already, just from having these three lenses, are you already getting more from the text than the first time we read this? Isn't that interesting? Like, there's, when you have kind of these, like, drill bits, it helps you kind of enter, like, pierce into this text a little bit more. I'm trying to use mask metaphors because I'm trying to appeal to many gender expressions and sexual orientation. Okay, so um, it's like when you're building uh, uh, things and you have to hammer... Okay, drill bits. Uh, these are the drill bits. And so, um, so what, are, what did we hear? What did we hear this text say about people? That Moses shows us that you can be both faithful and fearful at the same time. That Moses, as this character, who, in case you're new to this, like, is a big deal. Like, Moses is kind of like a huge, uh, like, uh, hero of the, the Old Testament. He's referenced all the time. One of the most influential uh, figures in the whole body of literature that is the Bible. And he shows us that it's possible to like encounter God and know God and love God and also be fearful at the same time. And we hear uh, Moses's fear, not only about like, well, what about Pharaoh and what about the people, but fear about himself and self-doubt. It's hard to really describe how huge it is that in this text that's um, at least 3,000 years old, depending on the scholarship, that we're getting a glimpse into the interior dialogue of a character. That's not a very liter that's not common in storytelling uh, back then. So we're getting an interior read as if to specifically tell you that this type of fearfulness is something that you are going to experience as you're developing your faith, and you shouldn't and expect that as you're experiencing that fear, that God is still going to ask you to do stuff. That like, even if you're afraid of the thing, God will still say, okay, time to, time to get up and go. Like there is a certain like, have any of you ever been um, like bungee jumping? Uh, so I went bungee jumping in Ecuador and it was $20, uh, which is not a reassuring amount of money. And, uh, and so like they have, they put you on this bridge and they're like, okay, put your hands on the bridge. And I'm like, oh, and you're on the outside of the bridge. And they're like, okay. So you're going to pump three times, one, two, three, and then everyone always is like, four, <laughs> five, six, seven, here we go, eight, 
nine. And at some point, the, uh, the, uh, the bungee jump folks are just like, okay, time to go. And that's kind of God in this text where it's like, <laughs> I already know the chords that are going to support you. You need to do this right now. And so like God to Moses is like, I'm, I'm giving you action energy to be able to abide with your fear. This is an important character learning, an important uh, development of faith. And what did we learn about what this text says about God? That God responds to fear by showing infinite and intimate love. So God isn't like your high school best friend when you Okay, so if Moses was just talking to his high school best friend, it'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared. And the high school best friend would be like, oh my gosh, this is scary. Don't worry about it. It's okay. You're amazing. You're doing great things. Uh, this is, you got this girl. Like, no problem. Like, God is not taking that approach. God's not saying, Moses, you're amazing. God is saying, I'm amazing and I'll be with you. And that's kind of an interesting posture, right? Where God is like, you don't need to wait for you to feel 100% confident to be able to move faithfully in the world. Because God, who's the source of all liberation, is moving through us uh, because of or despite of our fear. And that's the God who promises to show up. And when we say intimate, we mean like God is showing up even when you're about to make kind of some scary decisions. And if you can't trust in yourself, then you can trust in the power of God who is with you, right? Like that's um, the read of this text. And lastly, and what we'll focus on for the rest of this sermon is, what is the land telling us to do? We heard three geographical features so far in, in our reading in Exodus up to this point. We heard about low water, high mountain, and broad land. So if we're going to do a spatial reading, we might uh, start to put the pieces together that the water, which is typically associated with life, now represents bondage and death. The water, which is like typically, you know, like all of us have uh, run campaigns, I shouldn't say, using I statements, I have participated in campaigns where we were like, water is life. Every society depends on water. Every culture in the history of humanity has seen water as life. And this story is trying to queer our relationship and say like, but what happens when water is leveraged by the empire to be a site of death? Like, what happens when the things that were life-giving are actually spoiled by the people who mean us ill will? What are we supposed to do when the sight of our trauma is supposed to make us feel better, but it doesn't make us feel better anymore? We have this Nile, which was the... the uh, it, it provided agriculture and food and abundance and economic mobility for that entire society, but now it's become the site of death for children. So like, how are we supposed to relate to that? And so uh, Exodus queers that reading and then in juxtaposition to the low water moves Moses up a mountain, which is called, um, in our text, it was called Horeb. It's also called Sinai. We'll get to this later, but that might be because there are two sources, at least two sources that created the book of Exodus. We'll get to it later. It's amazing. Um, so um, so Sinai, as a name, is perhaps derived from the root signifying dryness. And that mountain represents the resistance and answer to God that God has to our trauma. Do you understand how the land is preaching to us here? Like, if you are in this story and you're on the shores of the river, 
and all you see is trauma, and then you move up a mountain, and all you see is flame and God and healing, that's a spatial reading of the text. But what does God promise? God promises that these folks will be delivered not just uh, away from the water, but toward milk and honey, which of course is representative of agriculture and um, livestock. Milk and honey representing a promise that is neither empire nor anti-empire, but a new reality. Ooh, okay. Are y'all listening? Like, are you hearing the thing that that got this whole arc of this story, the geographical arc of this story, which I know right now is looking a lot like a Dora the Explorer map, is like, how do we move from the site of our trauma and pain caused by the empire toward God's resistance so that we can create a new reality that is neither the empire nor anti-empire, but a whole new thing. Uh, in reference to what we already talked about today, the question might be, like, I don't want a world of homophobia or anti-homophobia. I want a world of queer liberation. And so it's not just, like, homophobia, which is deadly. It's not just, like, preparing our talking points and, and bashing down the homophobes which is sometimes necessary, but like it's about creating an imagination for a world where we can all be free. I, like This is the power of the book of Exodus, that we're not just enslaved or pharaohs, but that we are inhabitants of a new land. And when we at New City are saying we're building a new Minneapolis, we mean we're neither oppressors nor anti-oppressors. We're trying to create a new paradigm of what it means to be human. That's like the theory of change of Exodus and it's what it means to walk as a person of faith. Sometimes, of course, it is in the short term a little necessary to be anti-homophobic. Sometimes we do have, to, like God, uh, God did in Sinai, sometimes we do have to resist. But sometimes, um, and you organizers know this, like sometimes we get so good at the push against that we lose our ability to push for something. And when we lose that, we uh, play to the Pharaoh's game because then our whole reality is defined by our oppression instead of God's liberation. And what a powerful thing that we forfeit to the hands of our oppressors if we say our whole reality is going to be defined in response to you. I believe that the book of Exodus is offering us an alternative life. I believe the book of Exodus and Jesus is saying like, you are citizens of the kingdom of God, which is a different reality than what we're in right now. And if you lose sight of God, then you're playing right into the game of your oppressors. This is the, this is the both and imagination of this. So in conclusion, I guess I, I'll just say this. With my spiritual an, uh, ancestor Moses, I will pay at least as much attention to God's resistance and the promise of a new world as I do the haters. It's so hard. It's so hard, I know. I know y'all are just like death scrolling, doom scrolling, despair scrolling, all, depression scrolling, panic attack scrolling through your social media feed. I know that the things 
the titles that you see are like so triggering and painful and all you want to do is like fight back against this. But our ancestors are saying that there is wisdom in cultivating an imagination of a new thing and unless we do that, we will always be under Pharaoh's heel. Let's resist together. Amen? Amen.